KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. What were people 100 years ago expecting 2021 to be like? It is a fascinating question and one that Jason Pfeiffer, editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, was interested in answering. So he did some research and put together a really interesting article about what folks in 1921 thought our current moment would be like. We reached out to Jason to talk about the article, had a fascinating discussion. We've linked to the article in our show notes if you want to check it out. We've also included a link to Jason's podcast, Pessimist Archive. Give a listen to our conversation. So what was the idea for the article? What was the impetus to to take a look back 100 years and see what people were thinking? Well, I am absolutely fascinated by what people of the past thought about their changing world. And the reason for that is because we have these conversations now about how new technologies impact us, about how we think the world is going, how it's evolving. And I think it's really instructive to look back and see what those conversations were like back then. Because oftentimes what I've found, and I'm happy to go into this, I'll, I'll drop one for you. What I found is that people are freaking out about stuff that now today seems so silly. In 1907, for example, there was a national moral crisis, absolute freak out over the teddy bear. Like schools were banning teddy bears, priests were preaching about teddy bears. I think it's really important to understand that stuff so that we don't repeat those same kind of ridiculous mistakes. But in this case, when I looked back to see what people in 1921 were saying about 2021, I, I what I, I was really surprised to find that they were actually pretty spot on. Like they were they were really, you know, they were living through a moment of great technological leaps forward. They were at the dawn of the electricity age. And they were they were trying to extrapolate what was going to happen in the world because of it. And, you know, they they were they were they were not half wrong. Real quick, as an aside, before we continue, what was the uproar about the teddy bear? What was the, <laughs> what was the impetus for that? I know. It's impossible not to want to know that. Okay, so here, here it was. It started with a pastor in Michigan named Michael G. Esper. And he got up in 1907 and he said, look, these teddy bears are a danger to the human race. And his argument was this. He said, now keep in mind the expectations of men and women at that time, different from what they are now. He said, look, girls are supposed to grow up to be mothers. That's their jobs. And girls play with dolls. And dolls enable the girls to develop a maternal instinct. And if you replace the dolls with teddy bears, then the girls will not develop a maternal instinct because now they're raising an animal instead of a baby. And therefore, they will not grow up to be mothers. And that's the end of the human race. And so he said this thing, and then it went viral because things back in 1907 could go viral. The way it happened is it happened through newspapers. So somebody would write about it in a newspaper and then other newspapers would pick up the story. And soon enough, you had... Schools nationwide banning these things. You had other priests who were preaching, uh, you know, against these things. There was a national, a national conference. It got all the way up to people asking Teddy Roosevelt, the president at the time, who, by the way, the teddy bear is named after, to weigh in on this important subject. And you know what you were seeing was a manifestation of shifting 
expectations around gender. This was a time in which women were entering the workforce more. They were becoming educated in ways that they hadn't before. And the teddy bear was coming to represent this change to the nation in a way that for people who didn't like this change were, were finding very upsetting. And I, I go into all this. I have a podcast about history called Pessimists Archive, where we look back at why people were fearful of innovation. So, uh, so I do an episode of Pessimists Archive. Uh, this episode, I think, is called something like um, um, the most subversive toy in history. Wow, that is really something. Going back to the predictions. Yeah. The thing when I read through your article and you cut these were spot on. I shouldn't yeah. say spot on, but really kind of took your breath away how well they had an idea of what direction we were going. What ones and we will link to the article in the show notes, but what mm -hmm. ones really jumped out at you as you were researching this? Uh, so, you know, th there are there are a whole bunch of them, like you say, and they're really interesting. The ones that jumped out at me are the ones that overshot by a little bit. Uh, I, I found the most interesting. So, you know, th there were ones that were pretty spot on. Like you got this guy who, who an electrical engineer who was known at the time as the wizard of Schenectady, which is funny because like, you know, what's happening in Schenectady right now. But uh, but he, you know, he predicted all sorts of stuff that's that's pretty much exactly the way that we live right now. I'll give you I'll give you an example. I quote, I quote from him. He wrote, when heating is done all electrically and I want 70 degrees in my home, I shall set the thermostat at 70 and the temperature will not rise above that point. The temperature will be maintained uniformly regardless of the weather outside, end quote. And now, you know, you hear that and you're like, well, that's a kind of complicated explanation of our normal ways of heating and cooling our homes. But back then, that was a crazy fantasy. That was a revolutionary idea that he was laying out. And today we read it and we're like, yep, that's that's normal. Right. So that's that's really interesting. But the stuff that I, I thought was was more interesting was where they got it right, but they overshot it in that we're not there yet, but we're probably we're probably getting there. And, and you know, an example is the, the Wizard of Schenectady um, reimagined what a cellar is for because the cellar back then was for your heating furnace and coal supply, which of course is not what a cellar is for today. But he imagined that once our cars and our bicycles and everything become electric, fully electric, no exhaust, no nothing, that we we might, the, the cellar will probably be the place where we're parking those vehicles. Now, that's not the case for us right now, of course, but also we're not all running on electric vehicles yet. But I think that we will be. I think that, I think that he, he just overshot it. Another interesting one was the idea that entertainment will happen at home. Yes. Isn't that interesting? And, and the, the, here's the part that I love about that one. So, so this is also the Wizard of Schenectady. There were there were a number of articles that I quoted from, but but the Wizard of Schenectady was just so great. Uh, so he says, I, I, he imagines all these ways in which entertainment will be migrated into the home. And uh, I'll just quote you from a little bit here. There will be no need to go to some congested, poorly ventilated hall for a musical concert. We just push a plug into a bass receptacle as we do for the vacuum cleaner or table lamp, and we can have the concert brought into our homes, which, you know, is basically correct. That's that's what we have. We have a machine that we plug into the wall the same way that we plug in the vacuum cleaner or the table lamp, and it will produce all sorts of things for us. Now, I don't know exactly what he imagined, but you know what he's talking about to me right now is everything from the television to Alexa. Uh, but the thing that the thing that I actually really really love about that that I want to stress to people 
is where he says in the very beginning, there will be no need to go to some congested, poorly ventilated hall. So keep in mind, something a conversation that we always have right now is about how new technology replaces, we always frame it as it, it replaces this, this, this beautiful, wholesome thing that now we're losing, we're losing a part of our humanity, we get wistful for the, th- for the kind of romanticized version of the thing that, that's going away. You have that all the time with people who say, for example, oh, cell phones, now that every kid has a cell phone, no kid knows how to have a conversation anymore. And, 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 and everybody's just stuck with their noses in the fin. Now nobody has an attention span. Right? As soon as there's new technology, we start to romanticize the past and say, oh, everything that this replaces was perfect, and now we're losing this perfect world that we used to have to the demon of technology. But now what you have, just keep, just listen to it, what you have is a guy in 1921 who is very excited to replace the experience of going to a music hall, which we would probably say, oh, romantic, how romantic the music hall. No, he is saying congested, poorly ventilated hall. Don't forget, that well, we get new technology and it replaces some old things, and then we start romanticizing those old things. They weren't as romantic to actually experience as we are now sitting around being romantic about them. This guy doesn't want to go to a poorly, like poorly ventilated, congested hall. He wants his entertainment at home. Now we have it. Let's be thankful for that. Were there any in your research? We've talked about some great ones that were strikingly on point. Any that sound absolutely absurd? Uh, oh yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I, so one sort of geopolitically was I, I found this, I found this long essay in, uh, in actually the, uh, in the evening news of Harrisburg PA. I don't know if the evening news, uh, still exists in Harrisburg PA, but, uh, that predicted quote that, oh, that Mexico would be quote, a greater power than any in Europe, uh, which of course is, has not turned out to be true. Uh, maybe it's a greater power than some in Europe, but certainly not all in Europe. And, um, and, and then there were, there were other ones that, um, that were just kind of futuristic in the wrong, crazy way, right? For example, uh, they, they, there were people who imagined police officers, uh, that, that would all be airborne sort of flying police officers everywhere, which, you know, we don't, we don't exactly have, uh, there were, um, there were like doors, there, there was one person who imagined that doors would, um, would, would disappear from the ground level of buildings and instead be put on the roofs. Uh, and, uh, so, and, and, you know, you can imagine the logic there that they were living during a time in which, both of those, both of those predictions actually come out of the same logic, which was that that they were living through the dawn, the absolute dawn of the airplane age. Right, the Wright brothers had had come along a few decades prior, but commercial aviation was something that was just beginning to show up in their time, and so they were imagining, well, look, you know, aviation is so exciting. A hundred years from now, everyone's just going to be flying everywhere. Right? Like, why would you? Why would you be walking around when you can fly? Uh, and um, and this is this is also a mistake that we tend to make with new technologies, which is that we extrapolate in the wrong way. We say, "Oh, this thing, this new thing is coming along, and it will clearly replace 
all old things, uh, which which of course doesn't happen. But we hear we hear that a lot. I mean, this is why this is why when the telephone was invented, there were all these people who were freaking out and saying, "Well, once we have the telephone, nobody will ever go to another person's house. Why would anybody ever see anybody in person once you have the telephone?" And of course, that's not what happens. What actually happens when you introduce new technologies to the world is that they don't replace; they integrate. So they 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 there are use cases for them and they are adopted in certain ways, but then the old ways are kept in the ways that they are most valuable for. And this you see, you see all the time, right? You have a car and you have a bicycle, you have television and you have radio. These are, these are coexistence of technologies because although we fear, we always fear, this is where a lot of the fears of of social media and, and, and cell phones come from now, right? Now that we have these devices, we'll no longer do X, Y, or Z. We hear that all the time. I mean, Senator Josh Hawley has made an entire political career out of these kinds of ridiculous predictions. But the truth of it is that that's not how technology actually settles into our world. Instead, we always, always we incorporate things. So they imagined that airplanes would mean that we would stop moving by ground and we would always just be up in the air. But in reality, we fly for certain things and we walk and drive for certain things too. What do you think all these predictions, crazy on point, I shouldn't say crazy because, you know, trying to guess 100 years, but what do you think they all tell us as far as the human spirit and what it, direction it wants to go? That's a great question. I, I, I am a big believer in the human spirit and in progress. And I, when I look back in time and I do a lot of study of history and how people are responding to innovation, and what I see are two camps, two camps that you see today, which are uh, the camp that is uh, fearful and resistant of the innovation and the camp that is excited about the innovation. And neither camp is perfect at predicting how the future will go because, because they're trapped in their own time period, uh, right? So, um, so, so, uh, so there's, there's, a, there's a limit to which you can imagine how things change. It's, it's interesting. People tend to see, they, they tend to imagine the technology moving forward, but then parts of their world not moving forward <laughs> at all, which is how, for example, you, you have... Um, you have one of the other examples that I that I have in this article is this is from a different this is from a, a columnist in the Miami News in 1921 who described well let me let me just read it to you and then you'll you'll as you listen to it see if you can figure out what he's talking about it says by 2021 the phonographic principle will have become practically infallible and the best books will be reproduced in plates for use in many different styles of speaking machines. Uh, and then he goes on to describe um, the the sort of tone and the speaking of the words. And anyway, you know what that is is the audiobook. Now, that's somebody in 1921 describing the audiobook. But they're doing it in these it, with with a kind of um, they're trapped in the technology and the stru- and the kind of structures of their time. So that's why he's describing it on plates in stu- in speaking machines. They they they're 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 right, but they're. They're right, but they're not. They're not exactly imagining how it turned out, but they had the general idea. And I think that that's pretty exciting. And so to your question of what, what I think this tells me is that, is that uh, no matter how you feel about progress, no matter how you feel about technology, whether it scares you or whether it doesn't, 
Um, it happens. And it happens in ways that absolutely nobody can predict, and it settles into our world in ways that nobody can predict. And I, I have this philosophy on life, and it's called, you come from the future. And uh, by you come from the future, I, I mean to say that literally you, listening to this right now, you come from the future. You come from a prior generation's fears. You, the technology that you use today and the ideas that you have and the clothing that you wear and the hobbies that you have and the lifestyle that you live and basically every decision that you make is, is new, is born out of something that is new that a previous generation either got wrong or thought was crazy or scary or some were optimistic and predicted correctly. But either way, you are coming from their future. You are the evidence that change is good. Because you don't think that you're bad. You don't look at yourself and you're like, I'm a, I'm the product of terrible things. No, you think that you're the product of great things. And you should. Because change can be really good. And so I, I, I always want to encourage people to look at themselves and say, look, if you are the product of the future and you are, well, then you don't be fearful of the next change that comes. Don't be fearful of the, of the, the, the seeming replacement of whatever thing you are comfortable with because I'm telling you that the next thing is going to be good too, probably better probably better. And you have an opportunity to be on board with that, to, sh to shape it, to embrace it. And I think that that's the smarter decision than to say, this is terrible. And so I applaud these people from 1921, the ones who got things right, because you know what, even if they got things wrong, they were thinking about progress. They were excited about the future and they were trying earnestly to understand how the things that they're seeing today, the seeds of the things that they're seeing today could blossom into something amazing tomorrow. And let's wrap up. Do you have any thoughts on what? Give me a prediction for 100 years from now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I spent quite a while talking about how I think people are very bad at predicting the future. And so I, I expect that I'm very bad at predicting the future, too. Um, so uh, I, I, I tend to look around and see things that I just uh, I, I like. Uh, here's a game that I like to play, which is what am I doing now that people in 100 years would just think is absolutely absurd? Right, just like so inefficient, so ridiculously primitive that um, that that they, that that of course, in the intervening hundred years, somebody would have wanted to um, to fix. Um, I think that we do see some seeds of it today. I think that, for example, in a hundred years, most of us, if not all of us, will be eating lab-grown meat. There's just there's no reason, and I, I mean this with no offense to um, to anybody in the farming industry, but like it that's just such an unbelievably inefficient system. And as as the population grows and as technology becomes better, and we're able to create meat in a lab, I just don't know why. I mean, like you know, we'll have to get over culturally, like ooh, meat in a lab. But you know, we'll get over that. Like it won't take very long. So. Um, I think that we'll all be. Yeah, I think that we'll all be eating lab-grown meat. I think that our our styles of transportation will be radically altered. Um, people talk about self-driving cars. I, I I honestly in in our lifetime, I don't think that we're going to see that full transformation where everybody is driving uh, self-driving cars. Like it's just the predictions of that are way faster. But I do think that in a hundred years, you will see something that. Something that to us doesn't even look like a car. Because just imagine, once things are moving around on their own and we we have basically accounted for human error, 
the car doesn't have to look like the car. It doesn't have to have a lot of the stuff in a car that, I mean, like, you know, a car is in, in some ways as big and bulky as it is because of all the safety equipment that has to be in a car. But if cars aren't crashing into each other, you could radically redesign that thing and uh, and radically rede- redesign how transportation works. So I, I think that we'll see that. Um, and then finally, I think that we are at the, we, we have seen in just the last couple decades, the unbelievable acceleration of how information moves and um, and how data is transferred. And I, I am not pessimistic about this. For example, there are all these people who are like, but the privacy will be completely destroyed and everything, it, and whatever, we'll work that out. These are the growing pains of technology that we're experiencing right now. I, I think that what you'll see is a world that is... Um, uh, in the way that people in 1921, if we said to them, the world would be interconnected in 2021 in a way that you couldn't imagine, um, they would have been like, oh, does that mean that uh, telegraphs will be even, will telegraphs communicate pictures? Like, right, like they would use their old technology to imagine what the new technology would be. Um, and they just couldn't have possibly gotten to the internet. Like it's just, just, just a, it's just like a, it's just like a crazy far left idea, far, far left a field idea is what I meant to say. And, um, and so, um, uh, and, and so th- we will experience some version of that, like the the version of communication and um, and information exchange will be so radically different that we won't we won't be able to imagine it right now. But I, but I'm, and then I'm going to make one prediction about what's not going to happen. Um, what's not going to happen is robots will not take all of our jobs. Like what's not going to happen is that is that we're going to all be like sitting around um, on some, you know, universal, uh, welfare system and we will all, um, not have jobs because everything will be automated. That's not how technology works. We're afraid of that right now, but people have been afraid about about that since the Luddites tore down the loom machines, like new automated systems will create new industries. That's what's going to happen. It will create industries that we cannot even imagine right now. In the way that the the in the way that like John Philip Sousa, like the the composer of marches, who was was once the most famous musician in all the land, who was radically opposed to to radio and recorded music technology because he saw it as the end of his industry. And you know what it did? What it did is it created the thing that we're doing right now, you and I. Right, like all of this new technology, all of this amazing, these amazing new jobs, engineers, recording studio owner, whatever. There's a million, million, million jobs that came out of this new technology that that guy couldn't have possibly anticipated because the only thing that he could think about was, well, I show up in a concert venue and I perform, and that's the only way that people will ever experience music. So no. Don't worry about robots taking our jobs or not taking our jobs. What's going to happen is that we're going to have a world full of industries that we could not possibly imagine now. We are stuck in 2021, and our job is to start building towards the future. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.